As has already been said, welcome home. Welcome if you are a guest with us, new, fairly new. Uh, while I'm saying that, I'd love to, to catch up with you to say hi. I will be wearing a mask because I'm not feeling great. My wife has passed on her disease to me, who was passed on a disease from our son, who probably got it in the cesspool of germs that we call school. But, uh, so, uh, but I will be out there with a black mask on, and I'd love to say hi to you if you're new or fairly new. But welcome home, both in the room and for those of you that are online as well. And uh, how many people have noticed the year seems to be passing really, really quickly. Judah, my boy, was like, how come it's March already? Like, yeah, you're getting older, son. He's 12. But it's nearly Easter, and uh, obviously, you know, Easter weekend, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be uh, having church on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We're actually going to be doing baptisms as well. So if you haven't been baptized, we'd love to celebrate that with you on what, what, a, what better day to do it than Resurrection Sunday. So if you haven't been baptized, talk to me. I'll be around wearing the black mask later on. Austin will be around somewhere as well. And Austin oversees all our baptisms and we can talk to you about that and tell you how to get involved. But let's pray. Why don't you stand with me as we pray together? Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for... All the people in this room whose hearts are ready, whose minds are receptive to what you want to say to them. I pray particularly for those people that maybe are far away from you. Maybe they've, they've run away from you, but God, you've drawn them here for a purpose. I pray, God, for those that don't even know you, that haven't heard about you, but God, that you will bring them to yourself. I pray for every single one of us, God, that something that has been said, sung, or spoken over them, God, that we will walk away with our hope renewed in you, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you grab your seats? On December the 13th, 2011, a new Starbucks opened in Tuckwhittle. Tuckwilla, Washington. Now you may think, well, that's nothing unusual. A new Starbucks opens every 10 seconds somewhere in the world on some corner. If there's a corner that hasn't been used, Starbucks are bound to buy it and build something. But this one was different. It was actually made from discarded, disused, and useless shipping containers. What we call here, I think, sea cans. Is that right? Cool. Now, we actually, across the world, see that all over the place now. We see pubs and, and uh, shops made from, from disused sea cans. But in 2011, this was innovative. It was people using their imagination. What can we do? How can we make things a bit different? And Starbucks took four old junk sea cans. You can see it there. And they took four junk sea cans and made something quite beautiful and quite different. They reclaimed them. They rebuilt them. They renewed them. And they revived them. There's a, there's a television program that many of us have, have 
we haven't, if we're guys, we, we don't tend to watch it, but if it's on, we'll sort of keep an eye on it. We don't watch it, do we? Extreme Makeover, anyone heard of that one? Yeah, just if it's on in the room, that's all. Yeah, we don't watch it. But Starbucks did an extreme makeover on these disused sea cans. Last week, I talked about what's different. What makes us, as followers of Jesus, as the church, different? It is the presence of God. And it is the presence of God in our lives that makes the difference or the difference. And our change doesn't come from behavior modification. It doesn't come from us doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. The change actually comes from inside. And I want to talk more about that over the next few weeks. It's the presence of God that makes us different. And our extreme makeover doesn't come from splashing some paint around or, or changing the rooms or making the garden looks, look nice. It actually starts on the inside and works its way out. Our extreme makeover comes from God's presence. Thank you. Why don't you say it with me? Our Extreme makeover comes from God's presence. Our extreme makeover comes from God's presence. I'm doing that just to make sure you're staying awake. It'll help me. There are so many experiences that can leave us, not like the previous picture, but like this picture that's coming up. Crushed and discarded. The problem is in church, when we, when we look around at people, we feel like that. But we look at people and we think they're all like the other picture, all done out nicely, reclaimed, rebuilt, revived. And that's what, that's what everyone else is like. But it's only me that feels crushed and discarded. But I think all of us at some point or other, whatever we portray on the outside, whatever smile that we paint on, whatever behavior that we have can end up feeling like this, disused, rusty, discarded. And we feel like we've come to the end of our usefulness, wrecked, rusty, done away with. I don't know, Bill, but you, but you might have gone through a traumatic experience like redundancy, a divorce, a progressive illness, and feel like you are on the scrap heap. What if you, what if you have or have had mental health problems, and depression has become such a part of your life that you have now started define your, defining yourself with it? You're not someone who has depression you are a depressive. Maybe you're an older person and you look around and you see all the younger people involved in different areas, not necessarily just in church, but in life. And you feel or you ask yourself, Am I, have I reached the end of my usefulness here? Maybe you're a younger person and you've had some exam results and some things that have happened 
that make you feel like your planned route, the, the security of life, your way forward, whether it's into university or whatever, has just disappeared. Your dreams have gone. Maybe for some of you it's your ethnicity. Your experience as an indigenous person or person of color has left you battered and broken. Maybe you just feel used, abused, fractured, and worthless. Your dreams and aspirations have become wrecked, abandoned, and well, well past their sell-by date. Over the next four weeks, this week and the next three weeks, I want to address this in our lives. And maybe you think, well, that's not me. Maybe you've been there, or maybe at some stage, when you get there, you will remember, oh yeah, I remember the sea cans. I remember being reclaimed. You see, I want to show you over this week and the next few weeks that Starbucks was not the originator of being reclaimed, rebuilt, renewed, and revived. The Bible, right throughout the narrative, right from the very beginning, right to the very end, shows us that God's plan for mankind was not to leave us on the scrap heap of our own making, but it was to reclaim us, rebuild us, renew us, and revive us. Let me assure you that whatever situation that you are in at the moment, or that you may face sometime soon, it's not over. It's not over. Today, we start with being reclaimed. To claim something is to lay ownership of it. To reclaim something is to take back into ownership. To bring back what was rightfully ours. Maybe it's like, you know, you're coming home from a holiday or you get to a holiday destination and you go to baggage claim. Yes, we see a few smiles. You're coming back and you're waiting at the conveyor belt and you're waiting and you see the luggage go around and one by one they're all claimed, people smiling as they walk away. And then it's just you. Everyone else is gone. Still no suitcase. All your clothes are gone. And in the case of Ron and Lynn, no Christmas presents for the grandchildren. No clothes. Nothing. But you let the airline know, as we all do, very angrily, but showing great patience and great kindness because we're all followers of Jesus and nothing like that disturbs us whatsoever. We're on the phone. We're on the phone for about 20 minutes on hold, but then we're still patient, aren't we? Hi. I'd just like to let you know that my luggage has gone missing. We're allowing the fruit of the Spirit to flow through our lives. A week later, the airline lets you know that your suitcase has been found, but there's a bit of a problem. The clothes are filthy, the presents are all broken, and everything look, looks like it's been dragged. We have a phrase in England that says, dragged through the hedge backwards. 
or dragged through the mud, whatever. How would you feel? Obviously, you are nice Christian people, but can I tell you how I'd feel? Angry, upset, disappointed, sad. It's probably the least of the emotions that I would be feeling. But then, to add insult to injury, you have to pay $1,000 to get your suitcases back. Actually, that's more than it was all worth in the first place. But you decide to pay the price. Now, the luggage is worth more than when it was brand new. Why? Why is it worth more than when it was brand new? Because an object is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. And because maybe some of those things in your suitcase were worth more than money, you decide, I'm going to pay whatever it takes to get that thing, to reclaim my luggage, my presents, my clothes, my souvenirs, whatever it is, you're going to reclaim them, and you're going to pay whatever price it takes to get back, to reclaim what was originally yours. See, someone set a value on your life. But I want to ask you, what value have you placed on your life? What value do you say, this is what I am worth? Is it a high value or is it a low value? Problem is, when we set a value on our own lives, it's like having a house that's worth $100,000. Yes, I know you can hardly get a shed for that now and trying to sell it for $500,000 or selling it for $10. You see, we don't have objective value. We set subjective value on our lives or on the house that was there. But it is worth what the owner has paid for it. Reclaiming something is never done free. There is always a price. I'm going to make a sweeping statement now, but I do believe that it's generally true. You could, you could argue with me, and that's, that's fine, but when you actually think about it, there is, a, there is a truth about this statement. Many of our problems originate from us setting our own value on our life because we believe we are our own. So our problems stem from the fact that we think it's my life, my life, my body, my time, my money, my possessions, my rights, my, my, my Delilah. But when we read the Bible, and this probably is why the Bible is so not, well, it's not particularly liked at the moment. And down through, down through history, when people actually read it for, for what it was worth, not for their own ends, people don't always like what the Bible says. Because it's countercultural. It doesn't, doesn't say your, 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 my, my, my. It says his, his, his. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20. says this, flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You, yes, point to the person next to you and say you. Just seeing if you're still awake, that's all. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I'm not going to talk about sexual morals or anything like that. I'm going to talk about value and price and being reclaimed. But it all fits in there. You see, we, I, you are not our own. We don't get to, to, to set some subjective value depending on how we feel on a particular day because that's how, often, that's how it often goes, isn't it? I feel great. I feel valued. I am valuable. I feel rubbish. Therefore, I am rubbish. Therefore, my value is low. I have little value in this world. And we can feel one on one day and one on the next Today is a good day. I'm valuable tomorrow. Could be horrible and I will feel worthless. Today I feel like the Starbucks sea can. Tomorrow I may feel like the discarded, disused, rusty sea can. I will treat my body and my life and, can I say, allow other people to treat my body and life according to how I feel and how I value myself at one particular time. But the good news is, you are not the value that you set on your life. You, I, we were bought with a price. There is a value that's outside of us that doesn't matter how we feel on a particular day, that's set, that is so far above any value, any price that we could pay. Why? Because the owner is reclaiming what is rightfully his and he will pay the price to get us back. You see, you were bought with a price. There is a value outside how you feel that is placed on your life. You were bought with a price. A price is an expression of expense. And so therefore we can live our lives according to the value placed on it by not how I feel on a day, but by the one who reclaims us and paid the highest price for us. We have been reclaimed. We have been bought with a price. I'm going to touch on a, a difficult subject, slavery, because the Bible uses slavery as a picture of what happens in this process. Slaves cannot buy themselves out of slavery because the very fact of a being a slave means you earn nothing for the work that you do. You receive nothing for the work that has been done and therefore you have no money and slaves cannot buy themselves out of slavery. They have to be redeemed. 
They have to be bought with a price. And there was a price that was paid for our freedom. You see, God didn't buy back a piece of luggage. He reclaimed you, he reclaimed me, he reclaimed us for the full price that was being asked. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 7 in the message says this, But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son. Born among us as born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who had been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to an inheritance. Jesus became one of us so that he could pay the price to reclaim us. You may be in this room feeling used, abused, discarded, rusty, worthless. But I want you to remember in your lowest moments the price that was paid for you was the price of the death of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus became one of us so that he could reclaim us. No longer slaves, it says here, but now children and heirs, redeemed, set free, and able to have intimate conversation with Father God. There are many pictures that are used throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and the New Testament that describe our relationship with God. But I think one of the clearest is the legal pictures that are often used. Two terms that you, you may hear if you, or, or read if you read the Bible. First is justification. That is being set in right order. It's an accountancy uh, term and also a legal one, but then adoption as well. Being brought into the family. I don't know what your family's situation is like, but you are here as part of a family. You may say, but the word family has so many negative connotations and God over a period of time, as he reclaims you, as he rebuilds you, as he revives you, as he restores you, will give you a new picture of what family is. As he brings you into his intimate conversation within family. Justification. It's not about what we do. There's a term that we often use Justification by faith. Faith is believing what God has already done. You see, those, those sea cans that we saw earlier did nothing to deserve being reclaimed. Maybe they'd been used for nefarious uses. Maybe they were used for storing drugs. Maybe they were used for actually people trafficking beforehand. 
It was nothing about them, but it was everything about the price that was paid to reclaim them. Dirty, used, worthless. See, no one knows the history of those sea cans, but it actually doesn't matter because the one who sets the price reclaimed them for better use. Being reclaimed is what happens to us, not something that we do. In one of the books that that Paul the Apostle writes to a, a church, a new church, that was in Rome, the very center of what was considered civilized society at the time, but it was also a place of degradation. It was a place of hedonism. And Paul writes to them talking about this justification, talking about being placed in right relationship, not through anything that they have done, but by everything that Jesus had already done. Placed in right relationship. You see, the adoption comes from being in right relationship, from being justified. God could have made us right and not accepted us into his family. But he went the whole distance, the whole nine yards. He didn't just want us to make us right. He wanted to reclaim us, to bring us back to himself. It's not just about what we've come out of. It's about what we're coming into. The sea cans weren't just brought back and stopped being rusty. They were reclaimed and repurposed. God's plan wasn't to make us nice. It was to make us family. To reclaim what was originally his, which is us. And then, and then to live with his presence in us. I was reading this morning something that a a friend of mine had wrote, and he said that one of the meanings of holy, we often think of the word holy as not doing all the stuff that we shouldn't do. Is that right? If we don't do all of that bad stuff, then we're holy. Actually, one of the best meanings of holy is God's presence within. See, it's not, it's not about what we don't do, it's about who lives in us and whose we are. Imagine if we actually lived life knowing that we are not our own. How, how would our lives look? Living without entitlement. That's my right. You see, we don't have too many marches for responsibility, do we? We're going to march for our responsibility. No, we march for our rights. And I'm not saying anything against that. But actually imagine if we lived differently, without entitlement. Living with the value that Jesus has already placed on us, the value of his own life. God did not spare his son. How would, that, how would that impact our families? How, how would it impact our workplace? How would it impact our classrooms? When we began to live with the real value that's placed on our life. Not what we feel like day by day, 
But actually, the value that Father God set upon us, which was the price of his son, suddenly we wouldn't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Suddenly we wouldn't have to live with that fear or that embarrassment of, I can't really talk about Jesus and about church. Because I don't know what people would think. Well, I'm not placed under their value. I'm not subject to the value of the workplace or the school or whatever around me. I am bought with a price. I'm not my own anymore. I've been reclaimed. So let me ask you, where are you getting your value from? Let me remind you, we are, we have been reclaimed. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, but I haven't. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be reclaimed, to come back to correct ownership, to have the right value placed on your life. See, the shipping containers that we see there generally have a 20-year lifespan, then dumped, thrown away. But you see, someone saw past, saw beyond its usefulness date. Someone else saw new life where there was no life. When you think about your life, Jesus saw new life where there was no life in your life. Jesus looked beyond the mess that you were in and saw what you could be when he placed his value. Not just new life, but a new family. One of the most I think, beautiful images in the Bible is a verse that's hidden way in the Old Testament, right near the end in these small books they call the Minor Prophets. Imagine if you were one of the Minor Prophets. Well, why am I a Minor Prophet? Surely I... It's like those road signs that we have in Canada. Important intersection coming up. What about all the rest of them? How do they feel? That's how my mind works. I'm sorry. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says this. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. Get this. If you remember nothing else about what I say today, remember this. If you are feeling at your lowest point, remember this. If you are feeling valueless, discarded, rusty, lifeless, old, worthless, remember this. He rejoices over you with singing. Did you get that? Whatever you feel, whatever you are going through does not define your value. Whatever you are experiencing, whatever circumstances you are in or about to face or have just faced that maybe have left you battered and broken, 
He will rejoice over you with singing. How incredible. What an amazing picture that is. But unfortunately, many people have been led to believe that this is the song. I hate you so much right now! See, that's not the song that God sings. And it's not just the world that perpetuates that lie. Sometimes it's us, the church, that perpetuates that lie. How could God hate you when he sent his beloved son to die for you? He will rejoice over you with singing. Rejoice doesn't mean, yay, fantastic. I remember as we watched Canadian hockey, and every time we scored, we rejoiced with shouting. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you shout. Don't get up and leave. It's okay. But you see, God's doing this. Rejoice means to stand up, to run around, to whirl around. God is doing that with singing over you right now. Not according to how you feel, but according to the price that he paid. If God was singing over your life, Anyone heard of Take That? Yeah, no. Great cultural reference I've got then, hey? They were the UK version of Backstreet Boys. They wrote a song and sang a song that said, I want you back, I want you back, I won't go any further. But that's the song that God's singing. I want you back for good. You, we, have been reclaimed. How different would our lives begin to look like if we really lived as justified and placed in right relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, the one who raises the dead and heals the sick. Because He places value, not you, not your neighbor, not the person at work, but the one who reclaimed you. How would we live differently if we believed the true value on our lives is what God has been willing to pay for it. Living as if we are not our own. Living to honor God because he took our broken lives. He reclaimed them and not just justified, not just put us in relationship, but adopted us and made us family. Let me finish with this scripture again and then we'll pray. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You've been reclaimed. It's not over. Let's pray. 
Father God, you see every single person in this room, on site and online. You see their lives, their circumstances, their experience that have brought them to this place. You know what's going on, but God, over and over again, you tell us how much you love us, how much you value us. And I pray, God, that we would get that picture so deeply embedded in our hearts and minds that our lowest point, that our, at our hardest point, we will remember the picture of you whirling, dancing, and jumping around with singing over our lives.